I had something. I slept. I'm on. Hey, good evening, everybody. The first Wednesday of <laughs> January. It is freezing cold out. We are at the height of COVID flu and the cold season. Um, so I thought I might be the only one here tonight. So I'm really, really happy to see the rest of you. Um, brought your New Year's resolutions? Oh, yeah. Save that for later. Um, so we'll be continuing tonight, as we always do, um, with three different topics. Our first topic tonight is um, continuing on with our study of Paul's missionary journeys. Um, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 13, if you brought a Bible with you or have the Bible app handy. Um, so, Ben, we're going to start with that. So this is Acts chapter 13. And I have to confess, I was too lazy to actually look at the last episode. Did we handle, like, the first eight verses of this three weeks ago? We are willy-nilly. We, this we're is brand new. all over Acts, so don't, no, no okay. obligations. All right. This is our first stretch in <laughs> Acts 13, though. All right. Well, good enough. Here we go. Uh, now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Serene, and Manain, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salmas, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. In other words, John Mark was ministering unto them. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Barjesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation. So this is one of the same guy. In other words, Bar-Jesus and Elamus are the same person. Uh, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O fool of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. So let's set the scene here a little bit. So what's happening here? Um, in this verse, um, just from the start... They mention five different people, and I think that's never an accident. Um, these sound like multi-ethnic, multi-cultural, multi-economic yep. mm -hmm. um, leaders in the church. Um, so just one thing that stands out is from the beginning, this was God's design for the church. It wasn't meant for just one, one race, one economic status, one educational right. status. This was for everybody, um, as listed by the leaders of the church. Yeah, if the context was America here you would say this wasn't just for white people. Since the context, of course, is not, you know, it's in the Mideast, the idea is the, the church is not just for Jews. Uh, so you have most likely a black man from the African region here, uh, Simon of Niger. Uh, the Herod 
the Tetrarch uh, uh, kinfolk, he, he, like you said, he, he's obviously, I mean, he was raised he's a little in bit royalty. The, the wealthy, yeah, educated He was side. raised in royalty, right. So uh, then you got Barnabas and, and Saul. Uh, Saul, of course, being not so much financial royalty, but in intelligentsia royalty with the Pharisees and Sadducees and all that. Uh, and then, of course, Barnabas, I guess, is really the only redneck in the group, and, and I've got nothing to base that on other than he, he doesn't have these other, you know. Well, he was a landed uh, landowner. He yes, sold he was. His property to he was, yeah. From the church, he, so he had some means. He was, he was successful. A, he was like the good old boy from Lone Doe. Yeah. Hard working. Yeah, that's, he, that's right. He, he, was, he was the Chrysler worker, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we're being facetious. But uh, the, the interesting thing here in verse 2, uh, as they ministered, to the Lord, I, you know, I lovingly challenge you to really, really do a deep dive on that. I, I stumbled across, um, it'll come to me, John MacArthur's admonition to uh, preachers, and that was to do just that, to, to minister unto the Lord. And there are certain things that you can do that ministers unto the Lord and all of them have to do with spirituality. And, and so in other words, I mean, it is, it is strictly the seeking of God. And that's what these guys were doing. They, they had pushed their busy lives aside, and they were seeking the Lord. What do you want us to do? Yeah, it even I noticed that it says twice in two verses that they were fasting, praying, ministering to the Lord. It mentions it two separate times mm -hmm. in just those two short verses. So they were really wrapped up in this. It, they, were. they weren't just casually praying on their way to work when they, you know, or had the thought and shot up an arrow prayer to heaven. These it, were It wasn't, deeply, I wonder, it is, oh, th we've got to do they this. They were deeply Amen. committed to it. So, um, and then, of course, the, the, so the church agrees with them. We agree. You, you have been called of the Lord to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so they, they basically ordained them uh, and gave them permission uh, to go out from the church at Antioch. And that, that is what we still do today. Uh, we do not, and, and, and this is going to sound terrible, but as a governing body, meaning a church that believes that they have authority from Scripture. We do not necessarily recognize a church that was started in some guy's garage just because he wanted to start a church. We recognize churches that were started by churches. And now, we're not against the guy that wants to start a church in his garage as long as he goes get scriptural authority to do so. You know, he needs to have some... Because nobody on this planet walks across a baby that just got here. There was a mom and dad somewhere. So moms and dads produce children. Churches produce churches. And so th th you can really take that methodology from this passage as well. Yeah, I, I somehow just completely skipped over that phrase in the minister unto the Lord. And I, I have no doubt that there's a spiritual aspect that you described there. The sheep and the goats passage that tells us, in so much as they, you brought it unto me, or you did it unto them, mm -hmm. you did it unto me. Um, ministering to the Lord can also be through me ministering to you, Tara, Ryan. So he feels that ministry just as as well. But you better this believe is a, it. This is a level above that, spiritually speaking. Right. Well, so one begets the other. 
you know, I'm not going to minister to you guys very well if I haven't ministered unto the Lord. You know, you got, you got the commission. That's right. That's right. I, I mean, I, I could not agree more. But but there's a proper there's a proper process, Amen. if you will. But because that's all they did, they they went out ministering to everybody. But they, they get the commission to do that right. right here. That's right. You bet. Well, and the important piece is it came from the Holy Spirit. Right. It wasn't just their idea. One of them didn't just have a brainchild like, I've got an idea. Let's send out Paul and Barnabas, and we're going to just do this. It was led by the Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. I think that if we're not careful in American Christianity, we get this ideology of, I need to go do something for the Lord, you know? And, and I think that, that you might could squeeze that out of some circumstantial situations. But for the most part, when you look at Scripture, it starts with the Lord. And, and, and if you and I will start with ministering unto the Lord, He's going to tell us what He wants us to do. And, and I personally believe that's the best approach, whether it is the layperson in the pew, Lord, what do you want me to do at my job? Lord, what do you want me to do with my family? Or the person behind the pulpit. Lord, how do you want me to minister to your people? Such of that nature. It, it needs to start with that personal one-on-one relationship between you, whoever you are, and the Lord. Um, one thing I'll say here real quick. Uh, I came across this quote today. Uh, Henry Martin once said, The Spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions, and the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we must become. I like that. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I've done it both ways. I've done it starting with the Lord and get, getting the directive from him. And whenever opportunity raises its head, that's where you sh- what you should always do. That, there should be a discipline that you have. That, that's right. Okay, Lord, what, what do you think about this? And I've done it the other way. Oh, that's a good idea. I'll do this. And I get in the middle of it, and I'm so miserable by the time I get halfway into it, and it's just everything's gone wrong. And almost like God's just saying, okay, go ahead. Well, it's the difference we'll, between... We'll work it out. That's right. It's the difference between a work in the flesh and a work in the spirit. You know, and, and like you said, I, I've seen God clean up our messes because it might be still a good thought, but, but you, you need to stop and say, okay, Lord, are you in this yeah. or not? Yeah. You know, type deal. Where's my heart in this? Right. So I'm glad you said that. I have some sermon notes from John MacArthur from a good solid 40 to 50 years ago, but um, so applicable to this because he says, all the features of the life of the church depend on the Holy Spirit, the building of the body, the nourishing of the saints the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, instruction, loving, sharing, praying, giving. Everything is in the energy of the Holy Spirit. So the very most basic issue in the church is that it be spirit-filled and spirit-controlled. That's why we say that every believer needs to be operating a spirit-filled life, yielding to the spirit. If we don't, then we are maiming the whole operation. Mm. And as my dad would say, if the spirit ain't in it, it's just it's not in it. Amen. Um, which leads me to my next question. How do you recognize the Holy Spirit in the church? How do you recognize the Holy Spirit in your own life? What's, what's the formula? Well, it, very good question. I, in my notes here, I've got, uh, so what is happening in this passage? As these godly men seek God, God directs them to take the gospel to the world, specifically the Gentiles, and he informs the church to set aside Paul and Barnabas for that work, and they do just that. In the last part of this passage, they encounter opposition, and you have to know that as you and I obey the God of the gospel, we take the gospel into this world, there will be opposition. So as far as a specific answer uh, to your question, uh, you and I as individuals, but also as small groups and also as a church, we seek the Lord. Uh, Henry Blackaby said 
don't just do something. Stand there. Stand and wait till you have a, a direction. You know. Now, if you as a church sit there for five years and you haven't won anybody to Christ, you've missed the whole point. Or, or you don't know how to get in touch with God. Because uh, as you and I seek the Holy Spirit, He will be found. Uh, I, you know, we have that promise. I think it's in Jeremiah. Uh, if, you, if you seek him, you will find him. And so, uh, he, but I'm going to tell you, and we're talking about this on Sundays right now too, um, the American Christian has a real difficulty sometimes in seeking the Lord. They, I'm doing quotations here. They don't know how to do it. They don't feel comfortable doing it. Uh, it intimidates them or they're afraid God's going to actually tell them something to do and they're not sure they want to do it. You know, fill in the blank. So I don't know if that completely answers your question, but but that's what I would say is you just got to get along with the book. And going back to a, a, a solid example in my life where I did it right, I did, I've done it wrong so many times I could do a study on that too, but <laughs> when you do it right and you seek the Lord and a door, a door or an opportunity opens to you and you're seeking the Lord as to whether you should t take the opportunity to walk through the door, I had to, several times in prayer, I said, okay, God, stop me, put up a roadblock, do something that prevents me from doing this because if, if you don't, I'm taking it by faith that you're opening this door to me and I'm going through it. And I've also prayed, and I don't, I'm not, uh, I'm going to be careful, I don't want to be disrespectful to the Spirit. I've said, Lord, I'll come back to this point and I'll, I'll say, when, when trials come, when difficulties come, I'm going to come back to this decision or this comment that I, or this request that I've made and I'm going to say, Lord, you opened the door and didn't stop me. So I try to drive down a post where the decision's made and, and if you don't stop me, Lord, I'm going to go and proceed on in faith doing that and, and remind the Lord of the Spirit and remind yourself, honestly, He's going to remember that I'm going to come back to this stake that I drove in the ground and say, Lord, when the times get hard, I'm going to come back to the stake and say, Lord, you said this is what I'm supposed to do. So I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to call it a decommission. The, the trials and difficulties that I face, I'm not going to call it a decommission. I'm going to keep walking this path until another path presents itself or another door opens or the opportunity comes. I'm going to keep walking this path, this path in faith. And that's basically the, the path that I took when I was starting a practice or, or purchasing yeah. a practice. I said, Lord, I've got to have your assurance that you're in it. If you're not, I don't want to go. Stop. Amen. It, and when it gets hard, and it's going to get hard, and it did, it, and it still is, <laughs> I want to come back to this point and say, okay, God, I, I still I know you, sent you me. have sent me to do this. I'm going to hold on to this until you've opened another door, changed the path, or <clears throat> told me or made it clear to me you're decommissioning de this so office or journey. Henry Blackaby, again, in experiencing God, <clears throat> and if you are struggling, if you will, with hearing God speak, go through the study, experiencing God on Henry Blackaby. But the number four, uh, he's got seven realities. And number four is God speaks to us through his spirit, through the word of God, through prayer, through believers, through his church, and through circumstances. Now, I'm curious, because when I read that for the very first time, the Holy Spirit immediately showed me, because if I'm not careful, I, I don't rule, I don't pay attention to those other ways, I just pay attention to the circumstances. 
If things are good, I'm good. If things are bad, oh, Lord, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And, and that's really a very carnal way to go about it. So circumstances do play a role, but they play the least role. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, the prayer of God, with God, the people of God, the church of God, those are the things that God wants to lead us through. And I feel like those are the clearest heard when we come and listen. I've got here as a takeaway, bold experiences with God alone makes boldness for God in a crowd more likely. Go ahead. You, you, well, I can. I think we make it more difficult than we Absolutely. have to. In the sense that, you know, oh, you know, how do I know what... God, what's God's will for my mm-hmm. life, or how do I, how do I let the Holy Spirit lead? It's not a secret. That's right. We, it's kind of like saying I need to lose weight. Um, what's the secret? <laughs> As we're three hundred pounds, or do I need to? I do. Later. I should. I mean, maybe it was. I put four three hundred pounds. The third That's a trip through McDonald's this, you know, day. Um, we all know we make it more difficult than it needs to be. Right. Um, he's given us the instructions. So, right. um, simple formula. Um, how do you let the Holy Spirit control your life? You obey his instructions. Well, right. how do you know his instructions? Well, it's in his word. It's in his word. And, and so it. what is God's will? That you study his word, right. that you know his word, that you pray. That I mean, it's it's right there. Right there. <laughs> we're, we're making it more hard than it needs to be. Well, so I, I think that, that also we could ask ourselves this question. How do you know what your wife or husband wants you to do? I ask. You ask. And they tell you. Usually. Sometimes in code. Sometimes in code, right? Well, and don't we feel the same way about the Bible? Sometimes. Yeah, right. And so I guess what I'm getting at is that marriage is used a lot of times in Scripture Mm -hmm. as an analogy of our relationship with God. And, And I couldn't agree more. We make it more difficult than it is. There's another phrase you use, Ben, that I, and I've texted you several times. Can you, what's the word? What's the word you use? The peace of God arbitrates his will. That's right. So if you've ever experienced peace of God and you're in the middle of a tough decision, when you've made the decision, if you don't have that peace of God, that's a pretty good indicator that's not the direction the Spirit's calling you. So that, that phrase has saved me a lot of heartache sometimes, too. The peace of, peace of God arbitrates God's will. God's will. Of course, the word arbitrate is a, a lawyer term, uh, if you will. Uh, there's a better, a legal term, and, and it guides. Arbitrates means to guide. I always envision, and we've all done it, Ryan, with you, you being an exception most likely. You may have done it with a nephew or a niece. But we've tried to get our kids to get their eyes on what we're trying. So we grab their head and we turn their head towards the item, you know. Well, that's what the peace of God does. The peace of God will gently take our head, if you will, spiritually speaking, figuratively speaking, and point us to what we're, we need to do. Now, Jerry Jolly was the first person I ever heard say that. And I honestly, when I first heard that, thought that meant that I would want to do it. That's not what that piece of advice means. It means that you will have the abiding peace that this is what you're supposed to do. And the ability to do it. That's exactly right. Who he calls, he equips. Now, uh, so I got as a discipline in my life when I would get to something, I almost looked for the very thing that I didn't want to do, fleshly. And that usually ended up being what God wanted me to do. And his peace would arbitrate that. It would guide that. Good, Good stuff. Um, so the one takeaway point I didn't want to miss either is because um, I feel like this is so true today. Whenever they get to where they need to be ministering, 
there's a, an official, a key official, and who's right there with him but a satanic man, right? Mm-hmm. Satan's opposition is right mm-hmm. there waiting. Basically a liaison to him. Right, and it did make me think, like, how many of the leaders making decisions in our world today have right there, uh, you know, their wingman is some, you know, they're not yes. saying, like, oh, this is definitely a messenger from Satan, but mm-hmm. <laughs> 100% is a messenger from Satan. Um, but still, we talked about in the temptation of Jesus when, you know, he's, here we are, he's ready to start his ministry, and right there is Satan tempting him. Same is true for us all the time. Um, and how did that get dealt with? But Paul, being full of the Holy Spirit, right. denounces him. So, so that, back to that boldness. You know, it's been almost three years now that Paul, Saul, has been saved. And he's obviously had some amazing experiences with the Lord. And so, and I think too many times, I, I won't say any names. Years and years, not. years, and years ago, there was a person at a church that you may know. Uh, that said, I don't like Paul. And we were all like, what? I don't like Paul because he's perfect. And I'm not perfect, so I don't like him. Well, that's a misunderstanding of what was going on. Who knows? Paul may have been sweating bullets right before he said that to this guy. But he said it. And I think yes, that John Mark, if he thinks Paul's perfect. Well, you, <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. I think so. No doubt. Probably get to that. You're, <laughs> we will get to that. You but it almost it. seems like, oh, man, Paul had all this special supernatural stuff that is not available to He just to obeyed. Us. Yeah, exactly. He just obeyed and, and got beat up for it. And, yeah, and <laughs> Mercilessly. How, how many times do we let something go unsaid that continues to feed the, a, a voice that's mm-hmm. guiding someone Er- erroneously, and we don't have to be hateful about it, no, but no. just saying the truth, right? It, guided by the Spirit in a firm way, I think God can then take care of it. Right. So once it's understood what this chastening is for, then God can do it. And, and I think that's another problem that we have, uh, just you know, in American Christianity, is we think we have to get mad, you know, before we can say the right thing. It's not true. We, we can say the right thing and still be Christian, you know, and, and it can be cutting and it can be hurtful, but it, but it can be the right thing and to say. And still show love. Like, I think that's right. where we go wrong. That's right. Like, you can be right, but the deliverance of your message will destroy your message. That's right. And I believe that that's why uh, you've got to come up with some transition statements. You know, I, if I've got a couple in front of me and they're doing something wrong, again, in quotations, before I ask them if they're doing something wrong, I will tell them, I am not accusing. And I'll put my two fingers on my pulse, on my wrist, and say, I'm trying to diagnose, so I need to ask you some tough questions. Well, they get ready, and we, we dive in, you know. But, but I have hopefully, hopefully, what would the word go, uh, disarmed them from thinking, he's attacking us, you know, and I speak in, in this tone, you know, soft and gentle, you know. But now, 25 years ago, I th- again, I thought I had to get mad to do that. You know, what were you thinking? I, I, I'm scared to death to hear your answer to this question, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking it anyway. I'm asking it anyway because the deacon's going to wear me out if I don't. <laughs> oh, funny! I don't know All what right. you're talking about. Well, next week, another riveting adventures into Acts. That, that's right. All right. Do we have an? I'm just saying. Uh, I think I do. Mm-hmm.
I got to get down here. Go ahead. Ryan, you Ryan? got yours ready? Yes, I actually do. I have uh, two types of people, too, this week. Oh, man. I've had Ooh. it for like three weeks Ooh. ready now, but then we didn't have the show. Oh. <laughs> 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 They've been piling up. Uh, Patiently waiting. Tonight's your night. Yeah. But, well, my, I'm just saying kind of got covered in the last segment. It's uh, conflict aversion is not the same thing as love. Amen. Which Amen. is really well displayed by Paul because he says, you know, you are a child of the devil. You're an enemy of everything that is right. I mean, it goes off on this guy. He does. But in the spirit, like it says, you know, he's trying to get the truth across. He's not just trying to cut the guy down for the sake of it. Right. And yeah. that to me is more love than letting somebody stumble and just watching from a safe distance. And the guy is literally clinging to darkness and advocating darkness in the life of this political leader. And Paul says, okay, you, you want some darkness? You're not going to be able to see the sun. That's blind. When you can't see the sun... And as a result of that quote unquote show of power, the guy got saved. He got saved. Uh, there was something else you said there, Ryan. Um, read that quote again. Now I'm just saying. Uh, let me look it up so I don't. Oh, sorry. It. You're fine. Uh, conflict aversion is not the same thing as love. So the eminent theologian Kobe Bryant said <laughs> sometimes you have to create conflict to address the problem. And as again, much as I don't like Kobe, yeah, I would, no I would doubt. agree with that. <laughs> no, no doubt. But he's talking about, obviously, with a team. And that sometimes you have to create conflict, such as, I don't like what you're doing, you know, to, to deal with this. That's conflict. But you've got to do that to deal with the situation. Now, obviously, in a church setting, we're going to do that, hopefully, with, again, calm voices. But sometimes you have to create conflict to deal with the, the situation. Uh, the Bible says that if you, basically what you're, I'm just saying, says um, the wounds of a friend are faithful, you know. Um, you know, we've always joked around here, if, if I've got a booger on my nose, I need you to tell me, <laughs> you know. Well, that's creating conflict, you know. Uh, hey, well, I, I need to know that, you know, type thing. So anyway, uh, I'm just saying, uh, this was hilarious in our house earlier this week. The word cathartic doesn't mean what I thought it meant. Oh, because I, I, I got. You're, you're gonna need to tell oh. us how you were using it. <laughs> so I can't used. remember, but I have been using that word. It started when we did the book, book study on the transformational church, and Brother Larry Barker came and did a, a seminar with us with all the leaders of the church, and he used the word cathartic. That every church that tries to grow, they have a cathartic moment where they realize it. And so it does mean what today's version of cathartic means, which is an emotional experience, and basically you make a decision. It's kind of like repentance anymore. But 1828, cathartic means you had to go take a dump. <laughs> so now in the Kingston household, that's what cathartic I means. I've got to go have a cathartic. Yeah. It still means the other thing too. No way. doubt, An emotional. It does. It does. Yeah. Well, that's it, we we talk. Yes. It can't. That yeah. can't. I just like that our pastor has said dump and butter <laughs> in like a two minute period. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. This is supposed to be funny, folks. This it, it, is supposed it, to be it, humorous, <laughs> somewhat. All right. That's my. I'm just saying. I've also got a, two kinds of people. We'll say that I for got the next nothing. segment. You guys go ahead. All right. No. Mine's short. I'm just saying. I don't have COVID, and I have a negative test to prove it. So Praise yeah. the Lord. But I do, too. My, 20, my 2022 is not starting out the way I was hoping it to. 2021 just keeps giving. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, I mean, 
Well, somebody said it the other day, and they said the same thing in March of 2020. We're all going to catch Omicron. We're all going to get it. It's that infectious. Praise the Lord. Yeah. It is less. Our doc- I've heard my, a few physicians say they're excited about it. Like, this is what we need to get Let's so we get can all get with. it and yeah. move, on. move on. This is what needed to happen. So. Amen. Or go to Florida, because apparently Florida, you're immune to it. Because all of the people that are scared to death of COVID, they're going to Florida to have a good time. After they implement their uh, right, right. <laughs> the draconian lockdowns are leaving that area. Yeah. <laughs> Florida always sounds good. You would have to. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So on to segment two. This is. Do we have uh, to do this? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we're going to make it short. Oh, <laughs> because we have Dang to. Goodness. Um, this oh, is uh, it year. only but a goodie. The first Wednesday night after the new year. So these are New Year's resolutions, um, but something that we can actually improve on. So this isn't some wish list, but and you don't have to be into New Year's resolutions. Just what's something in your life that could use some improvement? Well, and, and I'll start. Uh, so it was either it wasn't last Sunday because we didn't have church last Sunday. Uh, so two Sundays ago, preparing for the New Year's resolution sermon, I basically tried to prepare the church to, to, you know, the very thing that we've been talking about in the first segment. Spend some time with the Lord. Seek Him. Ask Him, what do I need to improve in 2022? And so this last Sunday, which will now be this coming Sunday, I was going to talk more about that into actually kind of fleshing it out, how to bring some of those things now to pass. So for me... My, you know, one of my New Year's resolutions has been a deeper prayer life uh, because that seems to be where the Lord is directing me. Um, And I shared this with the church, but uh, months ago now, Brother Larry Barker said, can I come and do a prayer retreat with you and about eight other preachers? And I said, yeah, come on. And he said, I want to send you guys a book. Now, what he didn't communicate was, Prayer retreat's not necessarily going to be about the book, uh, but the book is about prayer, but it's just a really good book about prayer. But the retreat was a specific way to pray, which was the word pray, P-R-A-Y, and for an hour we discussed what it means to praise, and then we went and praised the Lord individually, us and the Lord, to our own corner, if you will. Uh, we praised, and then uh, R, of course, is repent. Uh, and we did the same thing. We talked about it with Larry for an hour, and then we went and did it. And then the next day, because uh, there was four sessions, um, P-R-A, uh, ask, uh, and then yield. And so um, a ton of resolutions, if you will, have come out of that weekend for me. And um, it, it's been a – and I'm going to tell you, I have failed so many times, but uh, – and this is where John Smith's influence has always guided me. Life is a series of new beginnings. Nobody keeps their New Year's resolutions. Nobody. But the successful people keep making them, meaning they just keep remaking them. Life is a series of new Rededicating. beginnings. That's right. Rededicating. It's an everyday thing. You know, a 24-hour period, you need to re-up, you know. And so anyway. So was your long answer with prayer? That's it. That's it. That's uh, it. Deeper prayer life. So I wasn't meaning for mine to necessarily be spiritual. I was thinking for several days, what do I want mine to be? And, you know, usually it's like, I'm going to do pull-ups. This is the year I can do pull-ups. <laughs> I know it is. So, you know, it's usually very superficial. Um, 
but then after studying this passage and how it kept saying they were praying and they were fasting and praying, they were ministering and praying and fasting. Like it was just obvious. I was like, <laughs> I need to beef up, you know, not my potential to do a pull up. It's my prayer life. That is what <laughs> really needs beefed up. Um, I, I don't need to fine tune a diet program. I need to fine tune my prayer life um, yeah. in a colossal way. Um, and again, I, would, I didn't want to piggyback off of yours. It was 100% mine. But I feel like what falls off the table in our Christian life, the fastest, what keeps slipping off, it, it's likely our prayer life. If you we're bet. all being very honest with ourselves. Um, and I believe in measurable goals. I've said before, I'm not a dreamer of things. I'm a goal setter and an achiever of things. Right. I don't, nor do I dream grand dreams. I keep things measurable and attainable. Right. Um, a good prayer life is attainable. That's right. Um, it's not. It's not out of reach. And a problem well stated is a problem well solved. I love that right. saying that many of you use. And that's just where I need to be is setting prayer goals. Like, all right, uh, this is where I'm at right now. Where I want to be next week. How I'm going to get there. Um, I'm going to like some baby steps. This. That's right. Like I would anything with my prayer life. Um, and like you said, it's not going to be perfect. I'm going to mess it up. Um, <laughs> But if I get anything right in 2022, that is by far top of the list. The thing that I need most in my life, like I need water and air, is a better prayer life. Amen. Yeah, but incorporating it into your daily habits. And um, as you grow, I think it almost becomes natural that anything that comes up goes right directly to the Lord. Lord, Lord help me here. Or Lord, what do you think about this? What, what should I do? And I think all of us are rebranding. <clears throat> the the charge to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things, all these things will be added unto you. My, mine is just a cultivated affection for God's word, His promises, and His presence. Um, just was thinking about I, I don't want to mention a name, but somebody who's been lifted up several times here for prayer for addiction, and I just was thinking the things that keep me from the things that would destroy me is actually working on my affection for good things. So concentrating on how to incorporate God's word into a conversation with an employee or a neighbor, um, expressing how much I love that, how much peace that's given to me, how much uh, appreciation I have that, that that's the case. Um, experiencing God love, God's love that expels fear. Man, I would love to stray into that for a couple of months. Yeah. Just stumble into that pool and just splash around a bit. No anxiety, no fear. That 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 love exists. I haven't explored very well. <laughs> um, so things like that, just opening up the promises that God's given us, and developing a love for them, developing an appreciation for them, and sharing them. I mean, what you love, you share. Um, if you love football, you'll share a football account. I, I'm a football <laughs> lover. Uh, if you love hunting, I'm a hunting lover. You, you'll share that. So if you you know cultivate the love for God's promises and his things that are the solid foundation for living, I think that'd be a good... So Walking over here, I said to myself, <clears throat> if there's only one person in that crowd, we're just going to turn this into a CFP talk. We're going to talk about college football because I have not been able <laughs> yeah. to rant enough, but I'm not going to do that because there's more than one person here. Hallelujah, Brother Ryan. Yeah. Thank goodness that To uh, save us some time, I had a whole argument written out against New Year's resolutions. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But since we're short on time, better. I agree with that, though. I don't think you should wait till New Year's. Exactly. To make it's, it's arbitrary. Yeah. Don't wait till Monday. 
Yeah. yeah. It I just gives you an excuse to keep doing what you're doing. Until <laughs> you're and what's wrong with that? This is a, this is a good one. I'm going to hold on to it. I, yeah. first, first I ate Reese's Christmas trees all the way up until New Year's Eve. I did. I was not waiting until day. I do the same thing. We, Dawn and I, will, you know, January 1. Okay, new, new life in January 1. I was like, let's, let's go January 3rd. Mon Monday, <laughs> let's wait Monday, Monday. Yeah, let's get through the there's weekend. Still a little bit of holiday CFP candy. on Friday night. Yeah. yeah, there's still candy left in the house. But anyway, if I had to non-resolution, um, pick something to improve on in the next year or throughout my life would be reading more just because it, I'm such a slow reader. It's so painful just to sit down. I, I love learning, Same. but I don't love reading. It's, it's rough. Good news. You'll get better. Yeah. That's, I, I'm that's, serious. I, I, yeah. I'm the slowest reader on the planet, Ryan. You can't be slower than know. me. And I, I don't give it up. I feel like we I should have a competition. I get the... I've always claimed that. Yeah. Whenever in a textbook, I will catch the typos. That's how slow I read. Oh, that's not correct. That's not spelled correct. That's how slow I read. So I would circle the, the typos <laughs> in the textbook. That's how Do you slow send I it read. back to the author? Mm -hmm. You need to work on this. Yep, send me a check. Uh, Brother Larry says, my goals for 2022. Start with Jesus, stay with Jesus, end with Jesus. Very good. W were you done, Ryan? I, I'm Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Well, go ahead. We, we're good on time. It. That was about we're, it. We're waiting for a rant here. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, controversy. And, um, the uh, of course, my brain just went absolutely blank. Uh, state your as the kids are coming in. State your your non-resolution one more time. Uh, to read more. Read more. Read, read oh, at least some every day. Yeah. That way, it's something measurable, not just. Oh, I'll do it a little more. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, these days, if yeah. I get around to it, maybe next year. Yeah, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> my brother was a. There's no word to accurately describe it. Just a rabid reader. <clears throat> and I kind of didn't like him for that uh, as far as that part of him. And I'm talking about Tony. And, but he just, he just read and read and read and would tell me, you need to too. You know, Ben, ben and it would make me so mad because he was such a better speller than I was. Guess what? When you read, you become a better speller. I mean, you really do. So as a pastor... It, I would not be as concerned, Ryan, but I'm thrilled that you are, are you know, attacking that because it, it's going to bless you. It's going to help you. But if a pastor tells me that, we, we're going to sit down. I'm going to buy his dinner and we're going to talk because if you're not taken in, you, you can't give. You, you just can't. Uh, so anyway, they're here. All right. So for our third topic tonight we are very happy to have the trek class uh, our awana students here with us they have posed several questions all very good some very Man. difficult um and we've picked two to discuss and they're with us and these are two of the topics there are questions that they've had and i hope that they keep sending them and we'll keep going through them um but well, I don't think we'll get through the list this year. No, probably not, but we're thankful for the questions. Yes, that'll be um, a resolution for next year. That's right. That's right. right. Yeah. Um, and so the track students, we should mention, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, right? They're junior high-ish age. Um, so that's an important note. Um, but the topics that we're going to start with tonight that they've picked is the question, if God is perfect, why aren't we? And if God is perfect, why would he die for us? So, I'll, uh, well, you you guys tell me. Uh, you know me. I talk too much. So, somebody else want to dive in, or you want me to dive in? Take the first one. Um, it was uh, God is perfect. Why aren't we? Well, we were to start with, but then we chose to go with what we wanted over what He wanted. Um, Where did that happen at? Garden of Eden. When they ate the apple, they chose to sin against Him. Um, 
And I think it boils down to love and self-worship. Um, you can't force love, it, otherwise it's not actually love. So if he really wanted to have a loving relationship with us, he would have to give us the choice to obey him or disobey him. So if, if he didn't give us the choice, there wouldn't even, there, we wouldn't be having this conversation and there would be no real love, so what's the point? Um, the self-worship part of it, ultimately, I think most, if not all, sin boils down to that. Um, you either choose to worship God or worship yourself, and that's what they chose in the garden was to worship themselves over him. So it was their choice not to be perfect, essentially. That's exactly right. And so Adam and Eve passed that sin nature to everyone else. Uh, the, if you will, theological backing to this particular answer is found in Romans 5, uh, and I believe also in Romans 12. I sometimes get those mixed up. But Romans 5 talks about, you know, from one man, sin entered into the world. And so all have sinned because of Adam. Uh, and then because of sin, all have died. Uh, and, and that's really the answer to number two. But we're going to save that for a second. Uh, Brother Ryan said it best. Uh, we were perfect. Uh, maybe not in the same sense that God was perfect. We were uh, perfect created beings. Correct. Image. And the word is innocent. We, we were innocent. Uh, we were not... God is not a... Cre I'm just trying to make that distinction. God is not a created being. We are correct. creating. So there's the difference. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, he created us with innocence. And so we had a righteous, if you will, holiness beginning. That's why they didn't know they were naked. They were clothed in God's righteousness, if you will. When they sinned against God, they lost that. And so uh, the, we were, if you will, again, perfect or innocent until the fall. And then Brother Ryan brought out too, we're not robots, and so we have free will. And Adam and Eve uh, chose this. And, and one of the things that I wanted to make sure that everyone understands and knows, none of sin's curse is God's fault. Is God's fault. It's all ours. You know, our, our creation, our people, if you will, humanity, struggles. They, they say, well, if God's a God of love, why did he, and then fill in the blank, why did he let, you know, this person kill this person? Why did he make this person do that to this person? God wasn't involved in that at all. Sin is all on us. And, and so that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow, but, but it is absolute truth. Someone yeah. else? Yes, and just a couple of additional little inserts here. God made, it, made us in his image, and we were a perfect created being. He made us like that, like him, so that he could have a relationship with us. So it would be very difficult for us to have a relationship with a honeybee. They're not very much like us. But for us to have a relationship with a dog or a horse, they're closer to us. But I even, prefer honey, though, even over more. what a dog puts out. <laughs> Just say it. it. And even closer would be your child. You'd have a, your child is, is very similar to you and has similar likes and dislikes and capabilities to you, so you can have a relationship. So God made us in his image so he could have a relationship with us. And Brian brought out that you can't have a meaningful relationship with someone if they're forced to have that relationship. So he gave us free will, which is also something he possesses. He possesses free will, so he gave us free will. The magnificent thing is that in his free will, he chose to love us. 
he could have done away with us after we walked away, after we took the men took the fruit and walked away from that relationship with God. He could have said, okay, I'm done with them. I'm going to start over. That would have been a perfect time to start over from scratch. So now you're into the second question. Now we're set, teeing up the second question. Right. If God is perfect, why would he die for us? Go, go ahead. You, you're on roll. That's exactly it. So perfect love does not give up on someone. And I know that's tough in this world to, you can think of a scenario where you have to give up on somebody and they, for instance, they have to go to the, uh, have the death penalty executed or uh, they go through the death penalty because of a sin or a crime that they've committed. They're, they're imperfect. But God still doesn't give up on that person. God still hasn't given up on that person and offers redemption to that person right up to the point of their last breath. Perfect love does not give up on anyone. And uh, there's a couple things that I, I like to go back to on the first question when we get done here, but love is the reason he died for us, his perfect love, and he measures perfection in love. In uh, Matthew 5, the last part of the, well, not, not the last part, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy, but I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Isn't that an interesting statement? You're going to look more like your Father when you behave this way, your Heavenly Father. For he maketh the son, his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. God loves the, the evil and the just, the I'm sorry, the evil and the good, the just and the unjust. He loves them all the same. His, his love is perfect. It's for, It's for everyone that has been created in this thing he started back in the Garden of Eden. For if you love them which love you, what reward do you have? Even the publicans do the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do you not even the publicans so? And then this, the statement that summarized this whole section here, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Jesus is measuring perfection in the ability to love everyone perfectly. So perfect love loves everyone. That's not to say there's no consequences. There's not, not to say that things don't uh, require a separation or uh, punishment. But love can still be perfect in a relationship that even is damaged by a person who's intent on damaging it. And the, the way the questions frame it says, if God is perfect, why would he die for us? It seems like him dying for us is subtracting from his perfection, but really it's exemplifying it and showing us what it really is as an example so we can follow it, as he says in his Amen. word later. And he wants us to mimic him in that, which is what Brother Gavin was bringing out. We, we're to love our enemies. Gerald Mitchell upset some people when he said, if you don't have any enemies, you need to go get some. Because you're supposed to love them. Now, one thing I want to ask uh, to our JV students tonight, and so Molly, I know you know this, and, and Brother David, I know you know this, but JV students, have you ever heard of Jim Elliott? Anybody? Okay, one of you have, two of you, three of you. Tremendous. Now, it's okay. Those of you that haven't heard, I'm fixing to tell you about him. Jim Elliott and two other, at least two other missionaries in college uh, believed that God was sending them to the lost tribe. I think they were called the Akua Indians. Uh, it was either on the Amazon or the Nile, and I forget which one. They, so they started. It took them several months to build what they thought they were building, a relationship. They would drop stuff from a plane. 
giving them gifts and things. And this was a cannibalistic tribe. And it finally came to that day where they were going to land the plane and try to reach them, try to start talking to them, getting a relationship. They killed them. The Akua Indians killed all three of those missionaries. Several years later, the wives of those missionaries went and started a relationship with that tribe, and a good portion of that tribe came to Christ as a result of the love of those wives of the men that they killed. And so, I mean, that you talk about an absolute, <clears throat> true life. I mean, this, this happened in the 60s and 70s, uh, if my memory serves me. So still pretty recent, you know, in the last 50 years or so. And there's a movie about it. I can't right now remember the name the, of the movie. The End of the Spear or The Tip of the Spear? The, or the End of the Spear, Tip of the Spear, yep. And uh, I, I'm told it's a well-done movie. I've read the book. I've, I've listened to Mrs. Elliot uh, speak. Uh, she's amazing. And so uh, those, are, that's, those two questions are excellent. Uh, but those are the answers to it. And we can certainly go one, ahead. One more just to yeah. put a, to an end note here. We, we are not perfect anymore. But God has, because God sent his son to die for us, he is working on us becoming perfect again. In Romans 8, 28, uh, and we know that all things are work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did know, he, did, he, did, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. See that? God is working on us becoming again like him, our image again to reflect him. Um, so that perfect being that we were in the beginning, the death of Christ made a way so that we could once again uh, enjoy spiritual perfection in the, in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, 7, he, he tries to explain this very thing this way. For scarcely for a righteous man will one dare or one die. Yet preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, basically, the scripture is telling something that we all know. How many of us are going to say, yeah, I'll die for that man in prison? Mm, not many. But how many of us would want somebody to be willing to die for our mother or father or best friend? We would want somebody to be willing to do that. But that's not still not necessarily a given. But then... God says, but I, my son, died for you while you were yet sinners, completely undeserving, completely uh, unmerited. We, we, we didn't ask for it. We didn't ask God to do this, but he did it because he knew it was the only way that we would ever have a relationship with him. That didn't take as long as I thought it might. I just kind of have yeah. um, a few verses just in closing. Um, when I think of things that I just can't possibly understand about God. Um, and there are those things. And all of us admit there's things that, gosh, it just that's hard to wrap my head around. I just I can't even understand that. Um, I find comfort in, it's Deuteronomy 29, 29. And it reads, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things, let me start that over. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that may, we may do all the words of the law. And then Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, and the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And it's just a reminder that there are things that 
that there are gods. And what he's allowed us to understand, we can't understand, but we can't understand at all. Um, and I find comfort in that. Like there's, there's, there's secret things and they belong to God. They don't belong to me. Um, he's my creator. Of course he's greater than I am. Of course I can't understand it all. Um, I heard a pastor say once how he wished so much he didn't have to sleep. Like I have so much to do. Why do I have to sleep? Why can't I just go, if I could just keep going 24-7 and, and never, I would get so much more done, I'd be so much more productive. And he's, he said, as thinking on this thought, it was as if God was telling me, because I'm God and you're not, I don't sleep. I don't have to sleep, but you do. So go what? sleep. Go sleep. Go sleep. <laughs> um, I just find comfort in knowing that um, there will be, all of these questions we have will someday be answered. Um, but until that time, it's, it's not mine to know all of it. Amen. But what it is for us to know, he's going to tell us and show us. Amen. The, the, the love of God keeps coming up here, and, and that's one of the things that I hope I never exhaust. Amen. And uh, Ephesians 3.19 talks about it, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. There's no way to com fully comprehend it. I'm glad that's, that's true. I want to, it to be new. I want it to be fresh. I want it to be an adventure every time I wander into it or every time I seek to experience it. I want it to be something fresh and new uh, every time. And you can't get your, just when you think you've, you know the love of, what the love of God is, he has a way of just breaking through and, and overwhelming you and basically washing your feet out from under you and carrying you away with his love. And one of the greatest pieces of advice that I can give you guys as young people own up. Own up to what are your failures. Own up to what your um, idiosyncrasies are. O own up to what your sins are to God. Because as you learn more and more about how wicked you are, if you will, and how capable of failure and sin that you are, but then you realize you still love me. You, you knew this. You knew that I was going to become potentially this person that could do these things, and yet you, you love me still. Uh, I, it was either this morning or uh, yesterday morning, I, I had one of those moments where I just came to tears realizing my wickedness, if you will, and yet God still loves me. This is his revelation. He has revealed himself to you, and you will absolutely become enamored with God as you seek him in his word. Keep asking questions. They were good questions. That's yeah. good questions. Good questions. They have. Was it 20? There's a lot more. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and these were the ones that we felt like we could do without much research. <laughs> we're going to have to dig a little for yeah. the next ones. But, but they're good. And, and, and don't, don't apologize for a question. Amen. Uh, the, the dumbest question was the one that wasn't asked. And, and I will tell you, you will miss the biggest part of God's blessing if you just blow by it. Yeah. If you say, oh, I'm just, mm -hmm. just going to leave it. We can't understand everything, but we need to try to understand what we can. Amen. And God will take you on a journey that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise if you don't seek uh, an answer for it. I think that's where God's trying to dip us into his love a little bit more. When we have a question or something that's sideways in our understanding and we start seeking him for it, I think God gets excited about that. And, and something that, because, that, again, we, we had to, in the prayer retreat I was at, you had to go spend an hour with God after each session. There was four of those. And one of those se uh, sessions with just me and God, it hit me. There is nobody on this planet that knows everything about everything. Not one person. Not one person. You've got some medical people that are amazing. And they may 
in quotations, know everything about medicine, but get them over to the agricultural world, they know nothing, you know, or whatever. And, and that, that's true for every, if you will, discipline and every science. You've got some people in those areas that know a lot about that particular science, but get them into another one, they're lost because our brain can't handle that, and God knows it all, and yet he loves us. Amen. All right. Well, thank you all for coming out tonight. We'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody.